I think this is a very uh, Martin Scorsese uh, loving the Rolling Stones, doing his mob thing, uh, fun sort of hair down type of movie. Um, I, and I, lo- I love it. I think it's great. I think the movie is it's fun. It moves at a quick pace. I have zero problems with it. Alright, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are continuing with our watch of Martin Scorsese, I guess later in his career. Um, and the movies we're taking a look at today are The Departed and Hugo. Uh, so just your standard double feature. Nothing nothing weird here at all. Scorsese just makes one kind of movie. Just gangster movies, that's it. So Ooh, wh- the claws coming out. <laughs> you can tell this is recorded ahead of time because I'm still, or I might still be angry about this. At, you know, a couple <laughs> months later, it's totally possible. So, Mike, uh, where are you with Scorsese? Kind of leading in uh, to apparently, according to the Academy, the best movie he's ever made, The Departed. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> they, you know, this is probably a good example of. Uh, maybe outing themselves as far as how the, the votes fell, which would be fascinating, right? As far as seeing like, okay, you had uh, two out of five nominees uh, back in the old days that were clearly like the only two contenders. <laughs> they would never do this because it would be <laughs> kind of mean and catty to be like, oh. Here's your zero votes for the others. Uh, yeah, you truly should be happy just be nominated because no one liked it's you. the only you honor the you'll dance. ever get, so. Um, but I guess, you know, and I didn't, I should have uh, looked at this uh, beforehand, but it's kind of, I guess, cited as like this, there was no defense for Scorsese, Scorsese that year. Like he just was able to like get in with a, you know, kind of popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't remember. Do you have 2006 off the top of your head? Was there oh, something no. that like, I have no idea, yeah. but it, Dave was checked out. I remember <laughs> that's probably true. Um, but I, as I remember, like watching the Oscars that year, it did like, it was a bit of a surprise just cause it's Scorsese. Um, because the Academy, you know, tends to, for whatever reason, Uh-oh. have a problem with Scorsese. I see issues already. Um, Labyrinth was in there that year, ooh, Dave. Ooh. Well, you know, it's not in English, so, you know, you got to have a real good director take a movie that was in another language and put it in English for the Academy to recognize it. Yeah. Like The Departed. Del Toro. So. <laughs> <What a> jackass. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he had to, you know, had to wait many years for uh, his movie about fucking a sea monster. And then you win, a, win your, your awards, buddy. That's... <laughs> That's the academy. Some would for you. say that was his The Departed as well. Yeah, I mean, you could you could make that argument for sure, but it like if you take out the Scorsese piece of it, it doesn't feel like that much of a surprise that year. At least I remember watching it, being very happy that Scorsese won, but not feeling like oh my god, I cannot believe it. But it also did feel like one of those you know very infamous makeup Oscars where they're like mm. oh yeah, The Aviator won a bunch of awards, but mm, not Best Picture, not. Not best director. Maybe we should make it up to you. This here were the other uh, the other best picture nominees were Babel, Ooh. Letters from Iwo Jima, mm. Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. Back oh, in the old yeah. days this when there were five nominees. So this... yeah, I agree with you. Come on in, it, it Marty. It did seem like yeah, The Departed was the favorite, and it did win, and everybody was sort of ready to celebrate the band. Everybody was happy with this right. outcome. I don't remember it being controversial. It's only controversial 
after the fact where it's like among cinephiles we're like well is it really the one he should have been <laughs> holding the trophy for a little gold like statue? Me. I mean, yeah. auteurs yeah. for assholes. Here we are. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, the important part should be that, like, okay, you know, Marty has has an Oscar. It's good. It's you know, he's not going to be the one that like fifty years from now they give this like posthumous Oscar. Like, oh yeah, our bad. We missed the greatest director of the last fifty or sixty years and didn't give him a single award. So they, you know, they got that out so of the who's, way. So who's replaced fine. him? If he was if he was that guy for decades, who do you think is now the man who doesn't have a little gold statue? I mean, is Tarantino ever won Best Director? No, he's and now he has won an Oscar. Was that the thing? Had Scorsese never actually won a, an Oscar because he's I mm. believe Tarantino has two for screenplay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think Marty had ever won. It makes me wonder. You know why? Because he's a talentless hack, and all he can do is direct. That's, That's right. It. That's it. He just let Paul Schrader write great movies. How dare he? <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of other other directors. I mean, there's directors, of course, who have had like long careers, but they're more popcorn directors. Like maybe has James Cameron ever won? Like a best director, mm, best picture. Yeah, you know, but Hygienic. like, but is that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, because that won every Oscar that year. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some, there's some directors. Like, there's a difference between having longevity and being seen as a great director, right? There's some people who like know their role and they're like, I can do this one thing really well, and they're probably never gonna get, you know, like Rob Reiner was probably never gonna get like a, a best director uh, win, but like he was really good at what he did. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. So. It seems like, you know, Rob Reiner, who we may weird... cover on this, on this show. Yeah, so. That's a strange introduction to the man who is on our sort of short list. Just well, like a sucker punch. We are better than the Oscars. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I was thinking uh, David Lynch. Did he want anything oh, for uh, that's a good point. Elephant Man? I'm thinking that's the like only that's... thing he would have, but I don't. I feel like that got a bunch of nominations. But I'm not sure if it won a bunch. And it'd be interesting to see if Lynch ever gets to that point because, like, he is <laughs> he's such a weird director and does, you know, weird subject matter that the Oscars are kind of like, we love that you do this, but we don't really get it. So we're never going to give you anything for this. Like, Mulholland Drive Googled was never going to win. <laughs> Here, June 3rd, 2019. David Lynch receiving honorary Oscar. Oh, see, that's the cue. We're never yep. going to give you a real one. So here, please go away and shut up. <laughs> like, stop complaining. So I will say uh, to to pick on Mr. Lynch, uh, he doesn't, you know, quite have the, I guess, work ethic of Mr. Scorsese. He's been around for a long time, but right. he, he's not making you know, a movie he, every couple years. Like it's like he's dabbled in television. Years. Yeah, dabbled a little bit. Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think people know him from that. Maybe <laughs> look. Did Twin Peaks have the uh, the run that Mike and Molly had? No. Oh, so yet again, weak sauce. I'm not even going to comment on that. I'm just going to let you take the bullets. I've never even bullet. seen a single episode of Mike and Molly, but I'm like, what would work for this bit? <laughs> I'm just going to let you take the bullets on that one. I'm just backing up. Mike is here at War Machine Mike Horse, is here. please. <laughs> I need to change that handle, by the way, just so it really dates these and uh, makes that a dead end. But we are here to talk about The Departed, not yes. uh, Melissa McCarthy's uh, greatest <laughs> achievement as an actor. Oh, Jesus. All right. So let's let's talk about The Departed. So I think in some circles, even though it's a very well-liked movie, I think it does get some poor treatment just because it's the movie that Scorsese won for that he shouldn't have, like the, the makeup Oscar. But this is still a really entertaining crime thriller. This is 
I think if you can if you can knock Scorsese for anything, there's not a lot of his movies you could just kind of like put on and just like I'm just going to enjoy this in the background. But The Departed is one of those movies for me. I could just kind of pop this on anytime. Doesn't really matter what kind of mood I'm in. You know, it's it's engaging in the kind of thriller aspect. There's enough moments of comedy to get you through. That's what you have Mark Wahlberg here who like almost steals this movie. Like if he was in four or five more scenes, like this becomes the Marky Mark show. Like this, if he had never been involved with Paul Thomas Anderson, this is the greatest moment of his career. Like I had this is one of the rare times the Academy got it right too because he was nominated for Best He's Supporting so Actor. Not, not Nicholson. Yep. But Mark Wahlberg in this role, which was, you know, that was a surprise at the time. Yeah, absolutely. But I think he completely deserves it. And also there's, you know, two very good lead performances from Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, Nicholson is over the moon in this movie, but it kind of demands it. It's that kind of movie. We were kind of talking off mic about this through text. And like this, it's interesting. This may be the most unsubtle Martin Scorsese movie ever made. When you talk of, you know, the very ending, you have the rat crawling across the railing and there's a, you know, something I didn't notice before because I had never seen a bunch of John Ford movies. Uh, but the informer is playing <laughs> on a TV in a scene right before you find out that Jack Nicholson is, you guessed it, an informer. And I was like, Marty, what are you doing? I mean, I think he's probably leaning on like no one has ever seen this movie. So I'm just going to put this in here because like, you know, even a lot of big film fans, you mentioned the informer they have no idea what you're talking about so but i was like marty you could you could do better than this it just felt like go this back was... to that episode and you'll see that it took me a few rounds to yep. even get through that first <laughs> <Yeah>. 10 minutes <laughs> but this movie does feel a lot like a victory lap you know like marty's just like i'm gonna have a good time and i really liked infernal affairs i checked I checked out that movie and it was a lot of fun i think i'll make my my boston version of that and have a good time and he did and the man wins an oscar for it i bet he was surprised when this started to get like oscar buzz like really this is the one i mean i'll take it but whatever well i don't want to lose too many listeners because i think i already made one sort of you know sports analogy but you, know, you play the schedule you have ahead of you you can't be knocked for your strength of schedule here so look what we're going to get on to scorsese for the rest of the output of 2006 not being up right. to snuff not being competitive year um yeah, I have sort of mixed feelings about this one. I've always really enjoyed it, uh, and I think I've probably been more defensive about those uh, attacks sort of mm-hmm. after the fact. Like, oh, we're going to get on to him for making, like, an entertaining movie or How that had success you? that everyone applauded and liked at the time, and now we're going to nitpick it. Is it like this um, in Cape Fear? Are those, like, the two that, like, feel like just kind of Scorsese having a good time? You know, but Cape Fear, the... I mean, I know DiCaprio, I think he was quote saying that he basically like his character here, uh, he just played it as if he was always like mid panic attack, like every scene. I like, mean, you can see that. that <laughs> um, and there is, you know, the threat of, of violence here. But Nicholson kind of mutes it a little bit. Like even when you see him executing this couple on a on a beach, you know, his next line is like, she fell funny. She fell and then they're funny. like laughing, like and then you're out of the moment. Um I feel like, you know, Cape Fear, the the threat of violence, the threat of De Niro in that is so intense because mm. uh, you, you start with that. And he relishes the violence, sequence. too. Yeah. Whereas this he's is like just kind of like a woman's. Mm. Yeah. I, this one, uh, maybe where it is, you know, gangsters with guns, you know, it's it's not even getting into casino territory where it's like, let's put this guy's head in a vice. Uh, let's like, even these characters have done vile things. Let's watch them weep as they're beaten to death, like, and their families beaten in front of them. Um, this is all headshots all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. Headshots. 
Uh, and there is a sense of like, it is a, like a true thriller. Like, you know, you have this cat and mouse thing between Damon and DiCaprio, like trying to find their, the sort of mirror image of themselves. And, uh, it's always been fun. So yeah, th- when you said this is the one that could come up on TV, I, I didn't know if there was another Scorsese movie that I could just kind of drop in the middle of color and have of money, fun with it. Like maybe there's maybe. a there's a somber quality to that one yeah. too like so i don't know maybe after that's hours are, maybe if you're in the right mood i mean but yeah, yeah. you got uh, a maybe good point though just reacting to it like in defense of marty like that this is the one that you don't have to like sort of like you're going to the church like you're know, going to his right. his church which is cinema uh departed is the one that does kind of stick out the most and by god the oscar was going to reward it like you passed the <laughs> tnt test we can come in 45 minutes late now that's a picture. That's a best picture right there. <laughs> I could just throw on my free screener and not have to think about yeah. much. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think most of most of Scorsese's movies that we've covered, which is pretty much all of his movies, you know, minus like maybe three or four films in his filmography, they all have a pretty clear. I hear it's the worst. So yeah. Easy what a, what a piece one. of shit. Terrible. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, our uh, big fan of Kundun is Hiro from True Romance, who you may have heard his voice at the beginning of this episode. So sorry, I guess. Um, but most of his movies feel like, okay, there is a very clear, even if it's not clear, there's a message here that you're taking away from the movie. And I don't know that there's, there's really a big message here. It does just feel like a kind of 1980s crime caper. Like, and, you know, but it but it still really works. I mean, my only, the only problem I had, I think, when I first watched it was I was fully in, like, you know, studying psychology and you've got, the, you know, one of maybe the worst <laughs> depictions of a therapist. Did you uh, read that bit of movie, trivia, which, by the way? Uh, Vera uh, Farmiga, who plays the... Uh, Your dream woman, you know, by the way, everyone should know. <laughs> Mike's love. I mean, you know, my wife gave me a little bit of shit about that. She's like, her? her? Of, and I'm like, what do you mean, her? <laughs> that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Uh, yes. Uh, a classy lady. Like, this and up in the air. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> she's a little more duplicitous, I think, in uh, up in the air. A little more. Uh, yeah. That's definitely, that affair has more of a gut punch. You know, when you do that to Mr. Clooney, you do that to impotent Matt Damon, he fine. deserves it. He, fine. He's squirrely. He's a scumbag. Um, I, yeah, I read a bit of trivia where I guess she, uh, you know, did her actor thing where she's like, Hey, you know, this character I'm playing and whatever, and sort of shadowed people and what, and what have you. And then after the fact, I guess that the person, uh, <laughs> who she, uh, interacted with the most saw the movie and was like, yeah, yeah, you pretty much did everything wrong. Like yep. that character is like 100%. the wrong representation at every turn. Yes. Um, and I think when I was watching it with, Brittany, my wife, she she had a big issue, not only attacking me and my like, you know, fantasy choices, I guess, of women, but she really did not like this character. Um, maybe she maybe she enjoyed The Departed more than I did, because I'm like, well, it's fine. It'll work itself out. And she's <laughs> like, no, there are sort of there are lives at stake here. Like, yeah. There's... <laughs> and uh, yeah, both men don't yeah. come out too hot. Yeah, not she so comes great. out fine. There's also right? like I a think. I mean. I mean, I'm sure she's got some trauma to deal with after this, but she's okay physically. One of the things, it's totally unimportant, but one of the things that, like, bothered me so much when I watched it was they made some comment about how she took this job and she's underpaid. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm sorry. I know people who do that job. They make really good money. But I don't know, like, why they threw that in there, like, to show that she's making some grand sacrifice by working with police or something. Like, I was just... Is is that Damon? underpaid i mean because he comes at it more of like he's aspiring to a certain degree of wealth that 
really you'd have to inherit. Like you would have to come from money, like the yeah. wealth that he's talking about. So I, I read There's it even a line like, when he first gets that apartment, like you move up, you know, in class, just having this view. You know? I thought it was more like his skewed sense of self and like worth. Cause he's like always like, I guess in his opening scene, he just sees a man who's just handing out money and like, <laughs> you know, sexually kind of terrorizing this teenage girl in front of him. And he's like, I want to be that when I grow up, which is probably it's, like it's weirdly like, it's weirdly a darker side of that introduction to, from Goodfellas, mm-hmm. right? It's a very similar introduction, but it's almost like Marty's like, yeah, you should have just been a gangster. Why did you go become a cop? That's the worst thing. you could have done. Yeah. At least, you know, uh, Ray Liotta was sort of upfront about honest. who he was. Yeah. He also, you know, he used a lot of those towels to help a man in need. So he, I think he had a little more heart than the Damon character, uh, who is, I mean, he's playing the type of villain I really like. Um, cause whenever anyone has ever, you know, asked me like, you know, what's, what is it? What do I like to see as far as like evil portrayed on screen? I, my answer has always been like, uh, William H. Macy from Fargo is like the most vile person because he doesn't even vile realize and dumb <laughs> that he's like pure evil. Like the, the things that he's done to his family, uh, his his child, uh, his wife doesn't. It, it's like it's just things that are happening to him. He takes no like sort of there's no agency as far as like I set this emotion. And is Damon might be worse because at a certain point he thinks oh, I'm smart enough. I can fix all this by doing even more evil shit by right. turning <laughs> turning on his father figure, Jack Nicholson, not out of like the goodness of his heart, not like this is the right thing to do. But like, oh, uh, he's a rat. He might get me in more trouble. Well, we got to fix this. So, and that line where he recommends DiCaprio for the, like, you know, the, the Medal of Honor so or whatever gross. it is. Uh, it is. He's just a slimy character. It's I, I kind of wish Damon played this more. I wish he, he kind of tapped into He's this. He's very this good at it. So, yeah. what do you think about the fact that, you know, you had kind of referenced this earlier that, you know, the, the villains in this get punished, but it's not extended. Uh, whereas in a lot of Scorsese's movies, you have these torture sequences. And this is just like, get shot in the head and it's over. So what do you think about that with a character, especially like Damon's character, who is pretty slimy and pretty despicable? And even at the, you know, at the end when he's, you know, turning on his father figure, as you said, you know, it feels like he would probably say, oh, I can fix this. But to me, it feels like, you know, uh, a creature trapped in a cage and it's just chewing off its own foot to get away. Like, let me do whatever I can. And then, you know, his ending is pretty quick and pretty painless. I mean, it's nice that he gets that kind of moment of helplessness right before uh, where he, I think I like he, that he kind said of, a loss of words for once. Finally. He, yes. He's finally done with trying to talk his way out of things because, <laughs> you know, the, That's the one guy here, here you can't talk around. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, acceptance, uh, maybe, I mean, even the, the elevator sequence is really dark where he, he finds that he's sort of run into the roadblock with DiCaprio as far as like he can't barter with him. And he knows like once a light is shined on him, he's like, just, you know, just fucking kill me. Just get it, you know, just get it over with. And DiCaprio knows that he's doing, attempting to do something far worse. I guess that's the torture here, right? Is him not killing him in that moment and making him think, oh, I'm actually, I'm going to turn you in and you're actually going to have to pay for what you did. But then the movie kind of takes that away and, you know, has everybody murdered anyway. So it's a it's an interesting choice for Scorsese. I, I don't know how much of that is him remaining true to the source material uh, to Infernal Affairs. Like, I don't know. Uh, I've seen that movie and I remember enjoying it. Now, I, I came to it after The Departed and it was like years after I didn't like it was on you know, another one out. of your podcasts. If, if I remember. Yeah. Right? yeah original, original remake. remake. I think that was 
the first episode, um, and I enjoyed it, but there there are two sequels to it, like oh. that the fallout from it. Um, and I read where the uh, <clears throat> the screenwriter here, William Monahan, was like, <laughs> I could get me some of that that <laughs> cash. Like we could do this again, but you know, Marty's not an asshole. You know, he's not directing a Marvel movie, so he had uh, no, there no, it interest is. no interest in those sequels. He's, he's not a sequel guy. Like, I mean, I guess. The Color of Money is like technically a sequel, but it's not like following the same story. And you could you know? much well. I mean, you could totally watch a standalone. Like you, I don't think right. you have to watch the Hustler at all. Um, I mean, I much was just like making the Avengers Endgame. Like you could just watch it. <laughs> yeah, come into that one blind. See how that works out for you. <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so we kind of so are, are you like more muted on this one because uh, that it treats violence with probably that degree of fun that I think Scorsese is often accused of. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a part of it, and I also think even though I really liked both of the lead or all three of the lead performances, depending on how you look at the movie, I think this movie really really works when you're focused on some of the some of the side characters whether it's you know Mark Wahlberg uh and Martin Sheen or the kind of their interactions with Alec Baldwin like that's where it gets really fun to me like I would watch a whole movie about the interactions of those cops and you know where the lines are drawn and the the jokes that are played on each other like you know you know it's the most probably the most quoted gift moment of the movie but Mark Wahlberg's you know this is unbelievable who put the fucking cameras in this place Oh, who the fuck are you? I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. It's interesting. I want more from that character, but I do wonder, like, if a character like that would actually hold up or if it's, like, just the perfect amount, you know? Like, if you have four or five more scenes with Wahlberg, does it just become a joke and then the ending doesn't work? Because you have to still be alarmed by him showing up and know that he is serious and he's not joking anymore and he is going to shoot this guy in the head, which he does. And I wonder if you have four or five more scenes, if you're like, Oh, it's the funny guy, you know, and it doesn't work yeah. as well. Yeah. Ray Winstone is probably the one that I uh, had forgotten about how much I enjoyed his presence yeah. here as the, I guess, the <laughs> uh, middle management of the, uh, their version of Whitey Bulger, like yep. his crew, uh, his look of just, like he looks like he's constantly sighing no matter what, yes. like, cause he's having to just deal with these sort of, you know, he, he's the HR department. Of he really <laughs> is Boston crime Lords. Give me your social security um, number. What's your, what's your billing yeah. address? Like, very... <laughs> um, so yeah, like, and there are, there are numerous sequences where Nicholson's just going way over the top and they will just cut to Winstone's face. And he's just like, Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's just get through the shift. Let's just get through the day. <laughs> Everyone else go <laughs> home. We're later. bringing in a new crew. Just <laughs> yeah. take a walk. We'll call you when we need you. <laughs> uh, I don't know how this one sits. Like, I think I, I like it a lot more uh, as an indi- individual film. Mm. Uh, if this, if I would treat this like I would the color of money, where <laughs> this is, let's pull this out from the Scorsese. Like right. filmography and watch on its own because when I've just watched it without like this shit, doing like you know two months of Scorsese, Agreed. Yeah. I've liked it a lot more. I didn't like it as much when I'm just like mainlining Scorsese because it yeah. did feel like the empty calories. Yes, yeah. you know version of his output. I think the only exception to that during this movie is the the chase sequence between our two leads. I think that is like prime Scorsese stuff. Like if you're talking about just like 
physical sequences like this is probably near the top like this is what scorsese does really well like shooting in shadow building up tension with these two characters never having spoken to one another and you pair that with the sequence uh with the answering the phone sequence that extended moment of silence i was like yeah that is that's the stuff that is how you do suspense without without telegraphing it and i think you know these are things that go unnoticed in uh in a movie like this or in a scorsese movie in general because you're kind of like well it's scorsese of course he's great but like there's you know you could probably count the number of directors who can do that on your fingers and toes like usually a suspense movie you're just like well let me walk you through why you should be feeling this way and scorsese just kind of lets you lets you stew in that silence which not a lot of directors would there's a nice setup for, you know, the film that's not coming up next there. I thought if you were trying to tag that <laughs> for, for silence. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, we have something that pairs far better. Oh, yes. With, yes. The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we're, you know, we're kind of on similar pages on this movie. Is it like outside of the realm of Scorsese? It's pretty great. Uh, and inside the realm, it kind of dips a little bit because it does feel like, oh, this is a fun movie to put on. As you mentioned, the TNT test, the first of our Scorsese movies, maybe to pass <laughs> Mike's vaunted the TNT test. I feel like that's legitimate. I feel like this one for years was on TV all the time yep. that you could just drop in on cable. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 the way to do it, Marty. Like <laughs> enough of this. Like, you know, they, but in all seriousness, I did. Look at it favorably uh, to the Aviator, but I think I like the Aviator a lot more because I felt like it moved just as fast and was just as entertaining mm-hmm. with much less pulpy material. But it, like that one, these two both, these la- like last two that I've watched on our list have been very entertaining. Mm-hmm. But this one, I expect like okay, this better. Like I say that, and then you look at something like uh, Black Mass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so there's a reason Scorsese is just like the master. Because right. you look at Black Mass, it's like, goodness, same, that was a slog. Same material, yeah. same yeah. main character, essentially. Yep. And like, yep. not fun at all. Uh, and just, yeah, well, just draw. That is what happens when you cast Johnny Depp. So we are going to take a quick break uh, here from our Scorsese expert, Hiro, from the True Romance podcast, and then come back and talk about the ultimate gangster movie, Cuba. <laughs> for me i hated this movie the first time you know i i I was in the throes of martin scorsese i was watching big cinema and then pops up this paddington like thing and i really didn't appreciate the first time out but this is also not just a family film this is martin scorsese really embracing and showing you his passion for film and here's where he became um, so enthralled in these in these old films all right so we are back we are back to talk about hugo not actually a gangster movie so sorry for that vicious tease if you had never <laughs> seen hugo and stopped our podcast and went ooh i better check out this monster movie it is not quite that um, so Mike, this is in my experience with talking with self-described Scorsese fans, the one that weirdly gets a lot of pushback, like a lot of this, like, ah, that movie sucks. I don't like that. You know, I'm, I'm a Scorsese fan except for Hugo. Um, so are you, are you in that camp or do you think, 
Because to no. me, to me, it's like I really enjoy this movie. I don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but basically, no movies are. Um, but it was it was fun for me to see Scorsese's passion for film in general on display here, and still work in the kind of the the construct of the narrative he created here. Like this was purely a movie for him that was like, let me let me shine a light on this age of film that no one ever talks about because it's been destroyed. So let me kind of educate you and entertain you at the same time. And to me, it really works. Yeah, I've not heard from these uh, poor souls whose you know mothers probably like you know hate them or abandon them if they were smart. Um, I... <laughs> Leave them in a <laughs> clock tower somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that wasn't just a mean jab. I was trying to work with the theme of the film here and the plot. Um, yeah, my only issue may be uh, that Jude Law is set on fire very quickly. Uh, it that's is. it. That's, I mean, you know me and my, my obsession with Jude Law. That is very upsetting to me. I honestly, like, somehow, like, I haven't, I don't think I've watched this in maybe six or seven years. And I kind of forgot Jude Law was in this. And then he showed up again. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then like five seconds later, nope. like, God damn it. Taken Marty, away from you. You're killing me uh, here. All the more tragic. I've, I've never had issues with this one. I thought, you know, it, I guess if I can connect it to The Departed in one you know, hour long podcast I episode. I can't wait for that. <laughs> uh, my, my hope would be that this was going to be the, uh, you know, the, the rebel that saved us from the fucking artist when the best picture that year. Yeah. I'm like, all right, you got two things celebrating like early cinema. Uh, you've got one from the One's master good. form. <laughs> one is good. The other one is dog shit. Uh, and this one got uh, eleven Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture. Now a lot of that's technical awards because it was like technically Scorsese, incredible. I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, having his arm twisted maybe a little bit. Like, hey, you know, there's some money to be made in 3D. Now for you, Dave, I think I told you this ahead of time. <laughs> I spent my Friday night. It's now Saturday afternoon. Uh, last night, uh, made plans with my wife for our little date night, uh, that we were going to rearrange our house. Cause we, we actually have like a 3d television, like mm-hmm. in our bedroom. Is it ever used for 3d? No, <laughs> but that's the place you should have a 3d television. I guess that's <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> Look <laughs> for a time there for a very brief window. And this was what, two years after avatar. Mm. So, you know, that they were thinking this, this is going to save cinema. Uh, and it didn't last. And I've always hated 3D uh, in theaters. I don't even really remember liking it that much seeing Hugo, but I've loved it. They, I've got probably like, I don't know, like eight 3D movies on Blu-ray. And I, when I watch it at home on like a 42-inch television, I'm like, oh, this is what people are talking about. This is what James Cameron's talking about. Well, because Mike, I can actually see it. That's because the settings are correct. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I can actually see. what it, I'm not just wearing sunglasses in a dark room <laughs> and can't see anything. Um, so, I, you know, I'm watching this and I'm loving it. I, I'm loving what Scorsese is doing with it. So that may shade it, right? Like even now in 2019, I'm watching it in 3D as it was sort of intended and designed to work. Um but I think removing all that, like, it's just fun to see Scorsese, like, you know, he's truly passionate about, you know, his profession. And I think he is a guy that's genuine when he wants to celebrate other artists. And mm-hmm. he loves, like, talking about other movies, not just in uh you know, I think Tarantino has kind of been accused of mining just, his just passion. Just being a thief, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and I don't, you know, I think Scorsese, you know, has, I don't remember him ever having that 
you know, charge. But I think, you yeah. know, he, he owns up to it about as much as Tarantino as far as like, oh, here's the shit that I like. And I want to like, mm-hmm. I want to point out to you that I took that from this because I love it so much. And like this film, like that, that's a hard thing to do, I think. And I was worried about it when it initially came out. Cause I'm like, wait, this is a kid's movie. Like, why are they going to care at with all kids, about any of this with stuff? With kids in it too. <laughs> yeah. And I think it works. Like I, I, it had been a while since I, I had watched it because, you know, I don't, always make a point to like set up <laughs> we're sitting so far from the screen to get the 3d experience at home i did it for uh, this podcast um but no i remember when it came out that you know it didn't do as well financially as hope because of the budget it was like you know 170 million dollars or something yeah. um but i remember like cinephiles saying like this will save us from the artist so it's interesting that you know you're, you're saying that there are these haters of this and i yeah. i'm guessing it is the only time Scorsese did like a kid's movie or anything like family related at all, right? Yeah. I mean, the only thing we've covered that's family related is Alice doesn't live here anymore. I mean, that's the closest and thing, what, but, but that's still an adult story. Yeah. It's about right? a woman who is going from sort of abusive relationship to right. abusive relationship. Yeah. I mean, but you have the kind of road trip aspect with her kid, but the kid is not the focus where that's, what's interesting in this is like, especially the first half of the movie like man, if you don't if you don't cast really good child actors, this movie is in a lot of trouble. Because uh, you have to care, you have to care about Hugo, and you have to care about Isabel. And I think both uh, Isabel Butterfield and Chloe Grace Moretz are really good here and really endearing. Uh, and I think the movie is kind of perfectly paced in that way, where it kind of about halfway through transfers to like, okay, let's tell the story of why Ben Kingsley's character is the way he is, why he's so angry, why he's so kind of grumpy about everything and you figure out okay you know basically his the love of his life minus his wife was taken away from him and destroyed in front of his eyes like and turned into things that are quote-unquote more useful uh and i think scorsese does a great job of making us feel something we could never ever feel the idea of like why movies were revolutionary when they first started like we you know most people who watch movies now, they'll go like maybe three or four times a year, big event movies. They're like, that was cool. That was a cool couple hours. Bye. I'm going to go back to my life now. When people saw the first movie, they saw the train coming at the screen. They saw, you know, the the man in the moon. Like all those things are completely revolutionary and incredible to see. And through the use of music, through the use of color, through the use of the performances here, Scorsese makes the audience feel that. And not very many directors can do that because there are, when you watch these movies from that age, there's a certain amount of silliness, goofiness that goes into it. It's just a different style. But to me, when I watched it through Martin Scorsese's eyes here, I never felt that. Like I felt that passion. I felt that love. And like we need that when it comes to movies. I think sometimes sometimes there are people that take movies way too seriously, but I think there are also people that take the art form of movies not seriously enough and just like well that was disposable it was an hour and 45 minutes good night i had my popcorn i'm going home whereas this is like no no this is actually important this can if done the right way this stuff can be life-changing i mean is it as good as uh that smashing pumpkins video tonight tonight which covers it in what three minutes (sighs) that's a good point it's It's very very efficient (laughs) (laughs) come on marty you know blame it on that billy corgan the true the true artist (laughs) yeah blame it on thelma thanks (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually did look up uh, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris were the uh, directors of that music video. Because I was like, oh, that's probably someone who went on to True do features. Nope. Yeah. Not this shit that Dave's programming here. Um, I, th- I think what I focused on was, uh, you know, the, that's sort of often stated, like, you know, kids are tough. They can they can bounce back from things early on. Uh, and that's that is on full display here. This kid has a pretty horrible fucking life. Oh my God. That, Just the worst. You know, <laughs> he's, he's lost his mother. Um, he has a great relationship with his father and they share this passion for like, you know, fixing things and like uh, a, a life of sort of like pursuit and knowledge and learning new things about other cultures. And uh, that's taken from him. Uh, the great <laughs> Ray Winstone from the departed comes in. <laughs> you dead yet again. Bye middle management. Again, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I guess I'm your dad now. Like you're going to, you're going to work for me. You're going to fix up clocks. Um, the one thing I didn't want to do. And even on repeat, like I was like, did they like highlight or sort of embrace, like, it's fun to be an orphan. Like, mm. you know, you don't have to, like, be anywhere. You can do whatever you want. And you're living in this kind of cool train station. And the fact that it's in, I'm watching it in 3D, everything looks cool and mm-hmm. heightened. And, like, this fantasy sort of playland. Um, but I don't think they do that at all. Because I think the way Butterfield plays it is, like, you know, he's like a little mini DiCaprio from Departed. Like, he's always in the midst of a panic attack. Like, things, <laughs> yes. The axe is always above his head. Um, but, yeah, I like the... You know, the, the split you have uh, between a young person uh, who can look at the passing of his father and even has a line, a really great you know bit between him and Sasha Baron Cohen later on where he's like, look, I don't understand why these terrible things have happened to me. But like he's choosing to believe that it will lead him somewhere like he's going to figure out this little mystery. Um, but yeah, Ben Kingsley, <laughs> it's just like, oh, my life's work. People don't like it anymore. And it's only good enough to be the heel of a woman's shoe. Ooh. Uh, both things are very hard to get over. And I think that depending on your age, when you watch it, you could fall in either camp. You could fall into the child's perspective of like, this is going to push you further, like to like find some sort of meaning in your life or Ben Kingsley where you're, you know, you're either <laughs> blow your brains out or you're just going to rage at people for the rest of your life. I'm saying either one is perfectly healthy. <laughs> I think that's what Marty's saying. <laughs> totally fine. So, <laughs> As I remember, like, probably the the only piece of bad press I remember this getting was about Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, so what did you think of, of his performance particularly? Because there's, like, there's a real thin line there. Like, you know, of course he's, like, using an accent. He's got the thing on his leg. It's it's way over the top. But does that stuff work for you um, bet- between him him and Hugo, essentially, for most of the Oh, movie? I actually think he's the best part of the movie. I, I think he's his character, to me, is he's, you know kind of a kooky villain right mm-hmm. he's the the authority figure he's got the the suit and everything and uh he's the law and he's the constant threat with his dog to chase this kid so it's mm-hmm. got that sort of larger than life mentality and i can say watching it in 3d uh the one three-dimensional effect that is very uncomfortable is when he leans in <laughs> to this little kid's face and his nose like everything like it, yep. me and my wife both were like physically like retreating from the screen like we get further away from it uh but i you know i think it's a fairly kind portrayal of like the adult that wants to round up the kids and sort of basically end their childhood like Mm -hmm. you know this is yes it sucks that uh, you don't have anyone but he he has a bit where he's like and you're gonna learn that you don't need anyone i mean Mm. it's a really depressing viewpoint he's not that far off from the kingsley character no it's just he's he's found a way to funnel that 
into sort of this life profession (laughs) into his profession. Yeah. Where he, he honestly thinks that he's like doing a kindness to this kid Mm -hmm. of getting him to a place of structure to where he can kind of accept Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have a family. Uh, So I, I, I mean, I know he's comes from, from a comedic background, so he's going to be leaned on for comedy, but I like the sweetness of his crush on the Emily Mortimer character. That's that's why it works to me. I think I think her? if you take okay. well, not her, not just like well, he sucks, but she's there, so it's good. But I know you date. I know I, where you. I know I, that actually makes sense. It does sound like something I would say, but without that character piece, without that piece of the arc, then I think he just becomes a larger than life villain, and it becomes like I don't know, watching a you know, a comedy version of a Charles Dickens novel. Like, it's just like, okay, this is way over the top. But ridiculous. it has that feeling, though, anyway. It does. And, but but you get to have a piece of that character that's not involved in the profession. It's not involved in chasing this kid down. It's not involved in being, like, maybe needlessly mean. It's like, oh, no, this man does actually have feelings, and he is alone, and he wants someone to be with, someone to lean on. But his whole life has taught him that that's not a possibility. So he constantly kind of moves himself away from that, even if it would truly make him happy. So I think that makes him more of a complete character. And this is the thing to me that separates Scorsese from a lot of directors. I think in the hands of a lesser director, that is just a cartoon villain and nothing else. But in this, by the end of the movie, we actually feel something for that character, a character that is the villain of the piece. It is the goofy over the top villain. Even in the flirtation bit where, you know, his leg, this this sort of brace that he has that is like it's a sound sort of signature that he's mm-hmm. coming for the child that he's about, you know, that the, the villain is behind him. Uh, but it also is meant for sort of pratfalls and that sort of thing uh, in that moment where he's having the conversation like this sort of forced flirtation uh, where, it, you know, he it what is it? I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain, but it basically like. <laughs> it he is literally <laughs> I'm, I'm literally stopping to smell <laughs> the flowers here like I'm, yeah i'm not trying to talk shit about you know the great master marty here but he uses that bit as a slap in the face to the man uh when it gets stuck and he it basically like as much as he hates it he is defined by his injury mm-hmm. and so he it's like something that he now has to acknowledge in the conversation he can't just be a guy interested in a woman he has to be this wounded thing. And so like his very next line is like, you know, I was injured in the war uh, and it'll never heal. Like I will always be this. And right. it's like a strange thing to put in there. Like that's a strange like viewpoint. Like, you know, you could just say like, oh, you know, this old war injury or whatever. And you could gra- sort of gracefully move on and no one would like bat an eye about it. But you can tell how much it's like heavy on him that mm-hmm. it's like I am now this person and where I was once that. Yeah, uh, I really like that character. I don't know. That must be your shit, Dave. Must, I know. You, you tell see. me you talk to these people online and you're like, <laughs> yeah, these horrible people said this. And I'm thinking it was you. It's like no, these are ideas no. rattling around your head. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I think, you know, kind of bringing up that that flirtation he has. That's another thing I really like about this movie is. It'd be very simple to make a movie about an orphan where everything is terrible and then he meets this one girl and like, oh my God, things could actually be good. But there's numerous sequences early in the movie before she even is even introduced with Hugo kind of looking at the interactions of people and seeing the sweetness 
of these people and kind of where they go right and where they go wrong. And it's, there's so many really nice moments in this movie. And I wonder, it's it's interesting. There's all this argument currently about Scorsese, like seen as this kind of monster movie director, right? And it's like, oh, well, he just does violent movies. And I think it's interesting that you get similar reactions from people who hate Scorsese and similar reactions from people who say they love Scorsese, where they'll be like, well, I didn't like The Age of Innocence or Hugo or The Last Temptation of Christ. What a bunch of bullshit. But give me Goodfellas and Casino Mm -hmm. and The Departed. Where are the headshots in Hugo, the story of an orphan? You know, and it's just like (laughs) the man can do a lot of really great things. I mean, there's there's even this amazing sense of wonder when the automaton finally starts working and drawing that picture like that five minutes is a better short film than most directors have ever made in their career. Like, and it's, or, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz watching her first movie, like <laughs> watching her watch the movie. Oh yeah. Gets absolutely. it across. Uh, there, there's so many great things here, uh, that I, I actually felt that I kind of slept on this one, uh, probably because of the 3d thing where mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, that was, that was something I can only watch in 3d. So I got to make Marty's a whole night of 3D it. 3d bullshit, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So it sort of held me back, but no, this was uh, this has been like uh, sort of a pleasant uh, reappraisal for me on how much yeah. I like. I love this one. This one's yeah. like this one uh, is very close to perfect for me. Yeah, and you bring up the three D interesting because I read you know some interviews with Marty about three D and like I guess when he first decided to do three D, he was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is not really my thing. But he kind of fell in love with the process, and I think this is where the film industry always goes wrong, right? They're like, well, this worked for a movie. Put it in everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So instead of like filming in 3D and doing the work, we have this kind of post-production where everything gets put into 3D after the fact. But what happens when you have someone who cares about 3D, who cares about the process of filmmaking, and you can put, of course, James Cameron in this camp too, because like he really cares about how the 3D is produced and like, you know, Say what you will about Avatar as a story that has been told a million times. Yeah, you just have to watch three hours of dog shit dances with wolves. (laughs) Right. But if you look at, like, the technical aspects of that movie, like, I remember uh, seeing that movie in 3D uh, in the theater and just being astounded by by the effect of it. So much that, like, you watch the movie, you're like, that was great. Then you think about it a week later, you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) That wasn't that great. I was just, like, blown away. That one does not pass the TNT test. (laughs) It does not. You throw it on in 2D. No. Uh, This one and uh, Prometheus, which is uh, Mm. extremely, I guess, divisive. Those were two where I felt like, oh, I'm in great hands (laughs) with 3D. Seeing those, uh, and I actually own a copy of Prometheus, Mm -hmm. so maybe I should keep my setup for Dave's uh, yes, bullshit. Yes, we'll get, uh, we'll get you know. to Mr. Scott eventually. I've got interviews lined up. I'm, I'm ready for... I have a feeling that uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, will not make <laughs> that short list. It depends how much I want to punish you and myself. That's really what that's about. Dave, I have a reputation of doing a podcast without watching the film, and I can, <laughs> that may be the time where I, I put that bullet back in the chamber. Finally ready. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I saw this movie, I saw Hugo in 3D when it first came out, and, you know, of course, because Marty knows what he's doing. He's one of the greatest directors, not only of this generation, but of ever. Um, so he actually made the effort to like, okay, these are the moments that are really going to get an audience reaction. You described one of them perfectly. Like, when the villain leans over that character, you should be, even if it's not in 3D, you should be wanting to move backwards. Because Mm -hmm. you are, you know, the way the camera is set up, you are viewing it from a child's perspective. And this is the end-all, be-all villain. This man is completely terrifying to you. So that's a perfect example is how well you can use, uh, you can use this technology and not just for, essentially for jump scares. For these, like, big moments where something's coming at you. But actually 
helps set, <laughs> but actually helps set the mood for that moment. Well, okay, on the the three aspect of it, because I'm assuming you watched it in 2D this time mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Uh, did you have any issue with the dream sequences? Because that may be the that would probably be the one uh, possible black mark against mm-hmm. I have, uh, because it felt like someone said we need more 3d shit in this. Like, can we have <laughs> yeah. a train derail? And, uh, I mean, you know, it's not just one nightmare, but it's back to back. We are where <laughs> little Hugo becomes the machine. I, I could see how someone would have that reaction. That's not my reaction because I think that is a purposeful bit on Scorsese's part to update, uh, the train coming at the screen that's that's shown in kind of the history of film like and look what we can do now look at all the technology we have look at how like now that you've seen all these things that those audience members have look at how terrifying a train coming at the screen can be i like what you're saying but you know how depressing that is when you're like yeah and this one bombed (laughs) like no one cared yeah i mean you know this is such a jaded but this is i mean this is sometimes the risk you run when you make a passion project right you're like, this works for me 100% because I'm Martin Scorsese and I have all this knowledge. And I think he's doing a good job at imparting the background knowledge that you need. But you have to be, as an audience member, willing to do the work and focus and not just be like, well, I'm here. I paid my 20 bucks. Entertain me, Scorsese. <laughs> you know, like, no, you have to pay attention and you have to, like, get involved with these characters and give a shit. Unless it's The Departed. Then you don't. Well, yeah, then it's the TNT special, just headshots galore. That's clearly what Hugo was missing, was more shots to the head. Some poor woman just wanted to buy a shoe, and it's just the end for her. Greatest gangster picture ever made. That's right. He finally reached the pinnacle. Good job, Marty. And no one saw it except us. That's kind of a shame, but... Yeah, so um, so as we kind of move on, what's what's next on our Scorsese watch? Something I probably should have <laughs> looked up before we started recording. It's, very, it's actually very close to Hugo. It's about a young boy. You know, oh yes, <laughs> dreaming of success. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually kind of in love with this double feature um, that we're gonna do. I think it's really interesting that these were these back to back for Marty. Did we skip any in between? Uh, are you talking about uh, what we, we have, just did or what's coming up? Well, because we have Wolf of Wall, Wall Street and then Silence. Were those two back-to-back movies? I think so. Think 2013 were? and then, what, 16? Yeah, yeah. I think Honestly, so. Honestly, if you don't think if you don't think Scorsese can do different genres, if you don't think he's a genius of filmmaking, just watch these two movies back-to-back. They're slightly different. You know, different aims, different productions. Like, and both, you know, we'll get into it, but both, like, seen very well critically and you know one of them did very well financially <laughs> Maybe believe is wolf of wall street his most successful yeah uh financially and silence <laughs> might be the least <laughs> in terms of i mean because i'm sure that movie cost a lot more to Look, make than his earlier movies that maybe there's a reason the, the this journey ends with netflix and silence <laughs> is the, the answer to it that probably question. that's probably a good point <laughs> Um, so what are your kind of expectations going into that double feature? One, a film of excess and one, one, a film, I guess, of lost faith and, you know, religious struggle. So slightly, slightly different film. So what are, what's your mindset kind of going in? Um, I, th- I mean, I think Wolf of Wall Street probably fits. It's some sort of mashup of Goodfellas and The Departed, uh, where it's sort of the, the popcorn fun and the thrill of uh, The Departed because it's a man who's. 
uh, you know, revels in the success, you know, and sticks his finger in sort of everyone's eye uh, until eventually someone <laughs> says, sticks <"Okay>, back. <laughs> you've had enough fun now and you've been too loud about it. Um, so that one, I think, is, you know, it's it's still a three hour movie, but um, uh, I think that one's probably an easier set than Silence, which it, I loved when it, it came out. It shocked me that The Wolf of Wall Street was longer than Silence when I when I looked at that online. I assumed I don't it think was it the feels other way. longer than no, Silence. No, it's not. <laughs> Very different kinds of movies. Yeah, um, this is this is a double feature for me that I'm really definitely looking forward to because these are both movies uh, that I loved on release. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I have not, I've not rewatched either one of them since, uh, maybe because of the, the runtime of both of them. Like, it's hard to like, you know, you have a job, you have a life. Sometimes it's hard to carve out three hours for a movie to just sit down and watch. Um, and it's, you know, Scorsese movies like are hard to like, for me at least hard to like watch in chunks. Like, let me watch an hour of Wolf of Wall Street and then I'll come back tomorrow. And they do feel like these weirdly contained epics so i feel like okay i gotta sit down and watch these so the fact that they're so different from one another in terms of subject material and and so close in terms of when they were released i'm really interested to watch these uh maybe on back-to-back nights maybe not all in one night because that's a lot of movie (laughs) six hours in one night that's a lot Yeah, uh, Dave likes to to pick two months of a director that uh, loves his three-hour run times. Well, I mean, only near the end. It's interesting, because early in his career, they're all, like, pretty much all, like, two hours and ten and less. Until you get to, I guess, uh, well, how long was uh, um, The uh, Last Temptation? That was, like, two and a half. Well, that was the story of Jesus, sir. I I mean, that's his passion project. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty like short run times. And then like as he gets older, he's like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. You won't. You're not going to cut me. Only <laughs> Thelma can edit me. That is. <laughs> or Twitter, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they God. think they can do better. Yeah, exactly. I should have been your expert. Whoever had that tweet that uh, backfired. Uh, Why, that so you could just been... so I could yell at them for two hours? I mean, I just would like to listen to them and then uh, send in notes. I could send in snarky tweets to my own podcast <laughs> be like, that should have been cut out. Cut her down. That's right. Edit her. <laughs> On time's too long. <laughs> yes, uh, probably like this episode. Probably. Yeah, Don't probably. Know. All right. So let's, so let's wrap it up here um so we'll continue with our scorsese watch as we mentioned wolf of wall street and silence uh coming up and then hopefully we'll get to see the irishman but uh no guarantees on that because who knows about the theatrical release or what netflix is going to do with that you you may have a chance uh i i'm thinking kentucky Mm. uh no not getting it might not make it (laughs) when uh i know for uh was it roma was that the uh was that last year it it feels like nine years ago yeah Uh, I remember at my local art house, they had like the poster up and uh, underneath they'll say like, you know, here's the day that's coming to this particular theater. <laughs> Never. And the day that it was coming to that theater was the day that it released on Netflix. Mm, so really ouch. no help whatsoever. No, no help at all. Yep. I'll just watch it at home or yep. never in Mike's case. <laughs> did you ever watch Roma? Did nope, ever... No, did not. didn't think so. <laughs> all right. Uh, so uh, if you would like to hear more uh, from us, please follow us on Twitter at DirectedByPod. And if you'd like to donate some of your hard-earned money to get some bonus content, like these bits of interviews that I've uh, put on the episodes, you can hear the, the whole interview most of them are about an hour to an hour and a half in length so if you want more detail on Scorsese or Verhoeven or John Ford you can uh, put as much as one dollar a month towards that it's just patreon.com slash a podcast directed by it just me. I just